0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 86 of the Speaking Club podcast. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. So you might as well try and prove yourself wrong. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking. And because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hi there and welcome to the show. So today... I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like stress and anxiety and depression are reaching epidemic levels. Loads of people are suffering. And for public speakers, you know, I suppose there can be a lot of potential triggers for stress and anxiety. There's the act of public speaking in itself, which can be terrifying. And then there's the rejection to deal with when you don't get gigs you go for. And perhaps one of the biggest ones we can face is the old imposter syndrome. That's why I thought it would be a good idea to invite Linda Clark on the show. Now, I've been working with Linda to help her develop her new workshop. And I've been so impressed by her story, her knowledge and experience and the results she gets people. uh, That for me, it was a no brainer to ask if she would come onto the speaking club to share her wisdom with you. Now, Linda is a master hypnotherapist with loads of other qualifications to her name as well. And she's been in practice since 2006. And she was based in South Africa for most of that time with a thriving business, even treating Nelson Mandela's granddaughter at one point. But Linda's life changed dramatically in 2017. And she experienced a bunch of stuff that probably would have sent most people over the edge, but just gave Linda the perfect opportunity to take her own medicine. But before we head over to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that the doors are opening again to my new story led speaking program on Friday, the 11th of October. The beta course has got great results and now it's your turn. If you have a big talk coming up or if you want to build your confidence or level up your public speaking skills, then you'll want to check this out. Head over to storyledspeaking.com and get your name down there. Smashing. Well let's head over to the interview. Linda welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here. You're more than welcome. So uh, there's lots I want to talk to you about today but first of all I want to cover what you did when you lived in South Africa and I'm particularly curious about the work that you did with Nelson Mandela's granddaughter. So if you could if you could tell us all about that stuff that would be really cool.
1: Right, so Fox TV were uh, doing a documentary of the lives of Mandela's granddaughters. And they approached me because it was like a fly on the wall documentary. And they approached me because one of the granddaughters, Zaziway, had a phobia of cats. Mm. And they wanted to come with the film crew to, for me to hypnotise Zaziway with regards to this problem. So I was a little bit nervous, Uh, number one, because, you know, the granddaughters were going to arrive and I thought, gee, you know, what are they going to be like? But, you know, my biggest fear was being scrutinised by my peers, (laughs) you know, it's like everybody's going to be watching me. And the other thing is when somebody comes to me, to my rooms for a problem, often Hypnosis is the last resort. They may have tried other things, or on the other hand, they may be looking for a magic wand. So they want to change something, particular habit like smoking or eating or so. They've made, they just can't do it themselves. And they think, oh, you know, a hypnotist, because of stage hypnosis, will come and just wave a magic wand. So typically, when a person comes to me, I would spend at least an hour chatting to them just to get to know them and exactly see where they're at or what their perceptions are about hypnosis. And quite often the perceptions are not quite clear anyway because they think that I'm going to take control over them. And, of course, that was my challenge with the film crew coming. And I'd said to them, well, look, you know, so it wouldn't normally be a one-off either. So there they came, probably expecting me to do my thing. uh, And I had to put a few boundaries in place, actually. So when they came, I did tell them beforehand, I want probably... 15-20 15-20 minutes at least off-air with Zazie Way just to chat to her and for me to get some idea of where she is at. Because obviously I wanted it to be successful, but I was under a hell of a lot of pressure yeah. because it was a one-off session, which I wouldn't do in my normal practice. Two of the three granddaughters arrived and they were absolutely lovely. And I had a bit of a chat with Zazi Way. And um, it, it went really, really well. Because the other thing is, some people need a little bit of practice. It's not like you see on stage. I had no idea how she was going to respond to hypnosis. But somebody was watching over me that day because <laughs> she was absolutely brilliant. And um, it went very well. And I was very proud of my work. So oh, um, I, I felt, well... If any of my peers are seeing this, it was like, well, good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so what, was she kind of cu- cured, or what What?
1: Well, what you know, the sad thing was Fox TV never, ever came back to me. Oh. I, I suppose I should have followed up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they never came back to me. Um, I don't know what happened. But um, I really used that session to bring up the fear so we we did you know the initial bit to actually elicit the fear and mm-hmm. i kept i kept going back and back and back to bring up the fear to see if what i'd given her had worked and she could diffuse the the actual fear so fingers crossed it worked well
0: excellent so that's just one aspect so you te- you're in south africa now you're not from south africa are no, you no. tell me about how you got there what you did there that led you to to what you did there around the therapy and the hypnosis and so on
1: okay this goes way way back to 1982 mm-hmm. uh, we were living in Gloucestershire and we were living in a very old house that we were doing it up we had a high mortgage we were skin. um we had a young child and I was pregnant with my second child and And my husband was made redundant. Mm. I, at the time, was a stay-at-home mum. I think they call it a housewife here. And um, there, there was very high unemployment in the UK. There were very few opportunities for working. So we started to look overseas and where we could best maybe build a life and work. And we found that South Africa were crying out for people with skills such as ours. So we went over there in 1983. And we worked very, very hard and we both, uh, I helped my husband initially build a very successful engineering business. But there came a time where I wanted to do something for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I studied and I qualified initially in hypnotherapy. And um, from there on, I I carried on studying, but I opened my practice with hypnotherapy and I added my skill sets uh, from, from there offering NLP, life coaching. I specialised in pain management. I did hypnobirthing Mm -hmm. um, and also stress, anxiety and depression. Quite a range. Quite a range. And also I do do couples and family counselling too.
0: And in South Africa, your business grew really well, didn't it?
1: Yes, it grew very, very well. I had a steady... Uh, flow of new clients. And I didn't really specialize either. That was what was so gratifying about that. I might see in one day somebody for weight loss, somebody for depression, somebody for a sexual dysfunction, somebody with a phobia, somebody wanting to stop smoking. Um, And it was a very varied practice. So I absolutely loved it.
0: Brilliant. So, things were going well. Mm. You, you and your husband established yourselves in South Africa. Life was good. Mm. Um, but then you decided to make a change, didn't you?
1: Yes, I did, yeah. You know, tell re- me about that. Yeah, well, the reason for that was, um, over the years, uh, things slowly started to decline over there. For a period of time, we had a corrupt government, and that meant that there was a uh, a decline in the economy. there weren't very many opportunities for particularly for those people that were previously disadvantaged. The poorer become even more poor yeah. and disadvantaged. And where you've got high poverty, you've usually got high crime. Mm. And um, really we it happened very gradually and we didn't really notice it was happening we just responded. You know, we were living behind six foot walls on the perimeter of our property with electric fencing on. But on the other side of that, we had a wonderful life. We Mm. had a beautiful home. We had a holiday home, uh, that wonderful climate. uh, And it was just lovely. In 2014, we came over here for a holiday. We hadn't been for actually for 10 years. And we'd only been here a couple of days. And I just suddenly noticed that We weren't looking over our shoulder as we walked among towns and Mm -hmm. the general population. And it was then that I realised that we were living under quite a lot of strain in South Africa, unconscious, that we always had to be on high alert uh, to being a victim of crime. So in 2014, we'd said, well, look, you know, at some stage we're going to come back. we just had enough. We went back to South Africa having had a lovely holiday and we put all thoughts of uh, coming back here on the back burner because we weren't, as bad as things were, we weren't quite ready to give up that lifestyle. Mm. And the other thing was, Sarah, the economy had declined to such an extent that we knew that when we did eventually come back, we were going to lose 80% of our wealth. Wow. Because of the decline in the economy and the exchange rate. So we knew we were going to be giving up a lot. So we just got on with our lives and uh, I think about 18 months, two years down the line, something happened that made us realise, you know what, we got to get out. Mm. And what happened was our daughter-in-law was out in an upmarket suburb in the middle of the day and she was hijacked. Wow. By by five gunmen, and she had two babies in the car, and that for us was you know what the writings on the war. is only going to get worse, and so we decided to come back, and that's what we did. We came back in August two thousand
0: and seventeen. I'm just to say, is that people probably wondering she was okay? Presumably she yes, sorry, yes. Yes. <laughs> she
1: she was okay. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but my granddaughter was. Four at the time, mm. and overnight she changed from a feisty, confident little girl, thinking that her parents were all powerful as children, young yeah. children do, to living in a lot of fear. Um, she was terrified that something was going to happen to her parents, and so um, it took a while uh, with counselling for for that little girl to overcome that trauma. Gosh.
0: So you made the decision to come back. Tell me about coming back, the, the sort of the contrast between life in South Africa mm. and life in the UK and how you experienced that change.
1: So we we came over. We Fortunately, we had somewhere to stay straight away. Mm-hmm. My son and daughter-in-law are here and they found a little home um, like quite close to where they stay in Swindon. Uh, for us to stay so Mm -hmm. from that point of view it was great we arrived they would got basic furniture in there we had a bed made and everything Um, but the challenge with that was we were bringing two dogs over and finding somewhere to rent with two dogs was was quite a challenge the weather was stunning and and the, the evenings were still quite light because it was August so initially in those first few days we just got out there in the beautiful countryside and We were dying to show our dogs that so that they could roam free, which they couldn't do in Johannesburg. So that was one side of it. But just after probably about three or four days, we suddenly were in this cramped house and there was quite a bit of fear and uncertainty because there we were at 65 and 68 respectively Uh, having to start our life from scratch. Despite our home being on the market in South Africa for three months, at that stage, we hadn't had any interest whatsoever. The housing market out there was quite bleak. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was this worry now, all right, we're here, but what next? We'd never rented a property before. Mm -hmm. We had no jobs, no businesses, no friends, And we had to start from scratch. And the thinking was, well, will we be able to sell the house? Will we get any money out? And if we can't, then we we can't afford to to buy. Mm -hmm. And we can't afford to rent if we're not earning any money. So there was quite a bit of fear and uncertainty and because we're not spring chickens, Mm. there was also this fear of, well, we're fit and healthy now. We're going to work our socks off. Mm. However, if one of us got a health challenge, then we can't work. And if we can't work, then we can't pay our rent. And if we can't pay our rent, we may end up on the street. So Mm. there was that there kind of in the background But I might add, because of the work I do, I knew that that kind of thinking was not going to help. Mm. So I had to, because I'm mentally stable, Mm. because I knew what I had to do and the work that I do, um, whilst it was there in the background, it was a case of, well, I'm going to be accountable for what I say to myself, what I think. Mm. Um, I really invested a lot of time in doing some practical things that I knew would promote good mental health and keep me stable Mm. because negative thinking black and white thinking stress and worry and negativity would have caused me to probably go into depression Mm. and of course when that happens when there's high stress I can't think I can't be solution focused nobody can because the stress brain is not capable of solution focused thinking and and we'd only been here just shy of two weeks when one of our dogs died but once again a very resilient and whilst I was heartbroken and shattered just as anybody would be losing their dog but in the uh, mental space that we were in at that time, it could have been a real side swipe. But really it was a case of, all right, this is just one more thing that I've got to withstand and I will just keep going. And that's really how I cope with that.
0: So so let me just summarise. So you leave South Africa, you lose 80% of your wealth yeah. overnight. Yeah. You move from a, a sort of, I'm imagining some sort of large... Mansion type property to a two bed house. Mm. Shortly after arrive, your dog dies. You haven't got a business. Neither of you got a business. You're getting on. Not old. I don't think you're old, but you're getting on. Maybe, put it that way. Uh, You've got no friends. You're not part of any community.
1: No contacts, no networks. Um, uh... And and initially I did start to look for a job, any job, anything Uh to give a little bit of meaning and structure to my life and a reason to get out there. Um, and how that... No, not, not even the most basic job. I was prepared to do every, anything. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time online applying for jobs, shop assistant. I'd love to work in a shop, just meeting people, yeah. sitting on a till. But I, I, I guess probably because our age and because we'd been self-employed for something like 30-odd years, we were deemed unemployable.
0: Gosh, so all of those things, I might be wrong, but I mean, you've mentioned it already. There's a lot of really what I understand to be high stress factors in, in what you experienced. And, and I mean, you've mentioned a few things, but what are the top three things that you did to cope and that you'd recommend to others you know, that are listening, that are encountering perhaps even a fraction of some of those issues? What, what would you recommend to them to do?
1: Right. So when there is uncertainty, as human beings, none of us like uncertainty. Mm. And that is emotionally arousing. So as stable as I was, it would be a lie to say that at times I didn't get scared or I didn't get nervous. The first thing I did was deliberately relax to deliberately really engage the parasympathetic nervous system and to calm down.
0: And what's that, Uh, the parasympathetic?
1: It's it's a part of the nervous system when we're relaxed. So there's Mm -hmm. two parts of the nervous system. There's what everybody knows as the Mm fright-flight. So worrying and stress and being in threat of danger will engage the fright-flight response. Mm -hmm. Um, I needed to be in the opposite of that. So thinking, negative thinking and worrying Mm -hmm. will engage the fright-flight response. You know, you're not half in or half out both. You're either one or the other. And I took steps to deliberately relax and that involved physical activity. I made a point of getting out every single day in the fresh air with my dog to get my body moving Mm -hmm. and to get out of my head and into my body and in so doing that um, that gives me endorphins um, mm-hmm. and while we've got endorphins we can think clearly and logically and solve our problems. Um, so that's the first thing I did um, and the second thing I did, I've practiced mindfulness for years mm-hmm. and, and the second thing I did was to be very conscious of what I was saying to myself, what I'm thinking and, and to have uh, flexible, creative thinking rather than uh, say, oh, well, I'm never going to... I mean, I could have said, oh, I'm never going to hack it here. I'm too old. Uh, we're going to be living out on the street and this and that. You know, it, I, I just chose not to go there. Mm-hmm. So I was very, very conscious um, of, of really what I was saying to myself. Mm-hmm. So deliberately relaxing, uh, being aware of, of my thinking... Um, and to also eat regularly and look after it was basically what I'm talking about here is taking care of the mind and the body if I take care of the mind and the body it means that I can get a good night's sleep so I paid attention to what I was eating Mm -hmm. I made a point of eating regularly Mm -hmm. because you know uh, I often have said to clients in the past, you wouldn't put muddy water in your car and expect it to run. Well, our body's the same. Our bodies need fuel. Mm. So I, I consciously made a point of getting fresh air, physical exercise, relaxation, eating regularly, mm. and taking care of what I'm saying to myself.
0: So you just mentioned there that you've practiced mindfulness for years. Now, I think so I'm aware of what being, you know, the, the idea of being mindful, which is around staying in the present, you know, focusing on where you are, not where you've been or where you're going. Quite, yes. Um, is it just, could you tell me a bit more about how you've practiced mindfulness? How do we get better at mindfulness? What sort of tips could you give us Right. That?
1: You can do that in two ways. There mm-hmm. is the informal practice of mindfulness. And essentially, it's creating what we call a triangle of awareness, We're paying attention to our emotions, our thoughts, and our body. As you've quite rightly said, we're either in the past remembering, angering, resenting, or we're in the future uh, planning, predicting, and worrying. When we're doing mundane things and not paying attention, often then we're mindless and we're not in the present moment. So we can have a mindful shower. Most of us are not present in the shower. And you know what, there's a lot going on there. So you can consciously pay attention to the sound of the water running, to the feel of the water running over your body, to feel the texture of the shower gel, to smell it, and to notice your thoughts and your emotions. So that's a mindful activity. And you can eat mindfully. You can go for a mindful walk. And when you start practising paying attention, you're actually raising your consciousness. It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that is developed. And, and the thing is with that, particularly in our reactions and the way we think, our default might be to react in a certain way. But when we're conscious and aware... As things are happening, as we're feeling in a certain way, we're aware of it as it happens, and we can choose how we respond. For instance, I like classical music, and one of my hugest irritations is being around somebody in a concert that's either making a noise or fidgeting or playing on their phone. Yeah. And um, there was an occasion where there was somebody not far from me, but I was almost scanning and looking for it. But as that was happening, I I noted what I was doing. It's almost like um, I've got an internal, like a, a documentary in my head. Linda, you're looking for somebody to irritate you. Instead, she's not irritating you right now. You're just looking, but if you just pay attention to what's going on on the stage, you can enjoy the music. Why haven't exp- I'm I'm expecting there to be a problem? So that's kind of what consciousness is. Mm. So I've talked about the informal practice of mindfulness, but we can also do it formally through meditation. If you say the word meditation to people. It can mean very many different things to different people. And there are different types of meditation. And the difference really is the intent. So you can meditate to relax. You can visualize. You can uh, use meditation for spiritual practices. But mindfulness meditation is consciously sitting down and paying attention. Right. And so, mindfulness meditation involves paying attention to the body, to the emotions, and the thoughts. And you would start usually with focusing on the breath. Right. And you would do that, probably, most people can't do it for any length of time it's just like anything you learn to do you've got to start somewhere where you're at and just build on from from that and the mind can wander all over the place but you just focus on the breath and you probably start with three or four minutes and it can be uh, developed from there
0: so some of those monks
1: that I hear about, they yes. do it for like out, like days and hours. And yes, like... and that's also why some of them have this vow of silence. Oh. Uh, in fact, in mindfulness, you can often get uh, retreat days. And what, there can be, say, a whole day where a, a person may be on a retreat and they're not speaking. And it is amazing how much you discover about yourself when you practice mindfulness and there's no talking. Wow, I don't know if I you can just do that. notice. <laughs> you just notice so much. Yeah, um, you do it quite naturally. Often when you're relaxing, yeah. if you sit
0: on a beach. Yes, yeah, that's one of my go-to places yes. to, to calm yes. my, when I need to calm yes. my thoughts. Is yes. that, that? And beach. you might
1: just be watching the waves or yeah. staring in the flames of a fire. But often people do talk too much. <laughs>
0: Guil- guilty and yes. overthink <laughs> yeah that's true that's true yeah well, that's brilliant so I didn't even realize there were that many different forms of meditation mm. but the benefits of meditation I mean they're they're being touted all over the place as being mm. amazing would you, yes. you agree with I, that
1: absolutely if we kind of go back to my story yeah when I was younger a younger woman I used to be a what ifer and a worrier. Yeah, and. So, through being conscious, each day, if there were, I would have good days and bad days, but I was always totally, totally aware of what was going on, how I was feeling. Just because you meditate, it doesn't mean to say you're not going to have down days. It doesn't mean to say that you're not going to be sad yeah. or angry. It's, a, it's being aware of how you're feeling in that moment. And you can then choose your response, particularly mm-hmm. in terms of responding to situations that are beyond your control. So in terms of your thoughts, the meaning we attribute to a situation could be one. So let's say you've left a message to somebody to call you yeah, and they don't return your call. If you apply one meaning to that like oh this person doesn't like me and you're not flexible in attributing meaning that can cause a lot of stress and so if you're not paying attention that type of thinking can be your default right the practice of mindfulness will help you to be aware of what your default is how you can change that Mm -hmm. so it's really what you're saying to yourself the way you react
0: Okay, so it just stops you from going into that spiral. Absolutely, because I, you know, one of the things that I've heard recently is that your thoughts create the world that you've got, basically. Yes, and if, yes, you know, if you yes. in letting yourself go into that spiral, and indeed, going back to your sort of mm. the orchestra, the yes. classical music thing. If you're thinking and searching for the thing that's going to wind you up, you'll find it. I'll and then find that will, it somewhere. You know, so, it's and really I'm, cre- I'm creating yes. that myself. Yes interesting it's so interesting okay so as part of launching your business in the UK you've actually started speaking Mm. to promote your business and and you've got a new workshop and I don't know if it's something you did much of before was it a new thing
1: the workshops are new yeah I didn't run those at all Mm -hmm. in South Africa but I did do a little bit of speaking yes I particularly In terms of mindfulness, Uh I would go to a rehab treatment centre locally and I would run mindfulness uh, talks there and and teach mindfulness practices. So about once a month I I had a PowerPoint presentation because the gentleman would... It was a a residential facility and the gentleman would be there for three months. So every three months there might be or a change around there of residents. So I had a PowerPoint presentation where I would explain mindfulness, what would be the benefits of practicing mindfulness and how it could help them. Also, I belong to Rotary in South Africa, as I do here in in the UK. And uh, there were a couple of occasions where I would do a talk on mindfulness there, but not very much. So speaking is relatively new. Yeah. for me uh, because my practice was largely one-on-one oh, yeah. mm. and how how do you
0: feel how you know how have you felt about speaking is it something that causes you anxiety at all
1: no it doesn't cause me any anxiety at all because mm. i'm the kind of person that likes to be well prepared for yeah. everything right. i do yeah. i'm always well prepared i never ever wing it and just think oh well it'll go all right whatever i'm doing yeah um I would say maybe just slight tension, but yeah. having said that, I think the most I've spoken to is about 30 people yeah. uh, to date, and I would be comfortable with that now. Yeah. Uh, if it were 100 people, mm, I think I might feel a little different, yes.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, what I wanted to speak to you about um, to today is, obviously the Speaking Club is for people who... Um, want to build their confidence as speakers, mm. want to improve as speakers. Um, but one of the things that I know is that a lot of people do have anxiety around mm. speaking. There are lots of things that can cause anxiety for speakers. There are nerves leading up to a gig. There are nerves before a gig. There's dealing with rejection and all of that stuff. It can be quite stressful. Have you got any tips that you could or tools that you could share to help speakers and then after that, I want to talk to you about your workshop as well.
1: Right. So um, in my private practice, mm-hmm. I have helped many clients who've actually had a fear and a phobia of oh, public okay. speaking. And in a lot of cases, it would stop people going for certain roles Absolutely. in within a company. So they needed help with that. So because we're human, yeah. to a lesser or greater extent, we can all be nervous, yeah. uh, either before, during, or even after speaking. So as I've mentioned to you, the stressed brain is almost like a rabbit with its eyes in the headlights of a car. The first thing we need to do is always to be able to relax deliberately so that you're in that creative part of the brain
0: yeah
1: when we're stressed we find it difficult to concentrate and the memory is impaired right so before a gig it's a case of keep practicing Mm -hmm. and be very well prepared Mm Because the more you practice it, and when I say practice, speaking out loud, and I've just found that for myself with the practicing that I've been doing with speaking, it's no good just saying it in your mind. You've actually got to stand up and you've got to say the words because it then becomes embedded in in the muscle memory and the words can then just flow. So the first thing, as I've said, is to be relaxed. Mm-hmm. And we do that by simply slowing down the breathing. We call this 7-11 breathing. Okay. The numbers are not that important, but you have to breathe out for longer than you breathe in. Right. So before a gig, yeah. with all that practice, it's a really good idea for a couple of weeks before to practice this breathing twice a day for two minutes. And the reason for that is you will embed the response of the breath in your muscle memory. So how it works is you take a nice, long, slow, deep breath to a count Mm -hmm. of seven and a very long breath out to a count of 11. If you practice it twice a day for a couple of weeks for two minutes what happens is when you need and, and what you will get is endorphins right endorphins okay. are your feel-good hormones and you're in that part of the brain that helps you to think and clearly and logically is the creative part and of perform, the brain. Presumably. And, perform yeah. and remember yes. and concentrate Right. so What happens is, whenever, and you can use it in every area of your life, if you've embedded it in your muscle memory, I'll give you an example. I was driving one day, and uh, I could see that a car was going to uh, pull out in front of me, and in that few seconds, I thought, oh, I'm gonna have an accident. And of course, we've all had that feeling where the whole system is flooded with adrenaline, we feel a bit shaky. Within, I would say, five seconds, of going through that, I was perfectly calm. The reason for that is because that response is embedded in my muscle memory, I've only got to do one or two breaths and I can feel the endorphins kick in. Okay. So that's why it's important to do that before a gig. Yeah. In fact, before you even start practicing, you may be in your study or somewhere at home and you're now going to practice. Mm-hmm. So just spend a minute or two just taking a nice low, some nice long slow deep breath mm-hmm. because then you're kind of getting into the zone you're getting into your space and it's what we call an anchor right. it's relaxed yeah. when you're actually delivering your talk mm-hmm. the minute you stand up to talk or just before you go on do your breath once again you're sending a message to the subconscious zone relaxed mm. You walk out and you start speaking. Deliberately, I'm not a speech coach, you'll agree with me. (laughs) Deliberately, just be aware of the tone of your voice. When we're nervous, we can...
0: Oh, yes, that's what I teach, yeah, absolutely.
1: And to deliberately slow down your delivery. Absolutely, yes. If at any stage you feel yourself getting a little bit tense, if there's any little breaks in your delivery just use that to do a couple of breaths ah, okay. and each time you're going and you're reinforcing the relaxation if you're nervous also before before going on when we're very nervous often we get a dry mouth yes chewing gum stimulates the uh, release of saliva right so you may not want to go on stage chewing gum but no. Maybe if you want to do it a little bit beforehand, right. that would be helpful. Uh, and another good tip is have water to sip. Yeah. If during the talk your mind might go a little bit blank, you can use just reaching for a <laughs> yes. glass yes. for you to collect your thoughts.
0: Yes. Excellent. Brilliant. And and in terms of the um, the negative thoughts around, I'm because I'm I know a lot of speakers are likely to have that, I'm not good enough, Mm. who am I to be thinking about, you know, who am I to be speaking about this Mm. stuff, you know, Mm. Um, that's where the mindfulness will come in as well, won't it, in terms of, you know, uh, staying in the present, and because that's a future and a past thing, isn't it, it's Mm. a, Mm. you know, doing that mindfulness meditation is bound to help manage that Um, negative thinking, do you think?
1: uh, It can make you aware, Mm -hmm. so if a person has a fear of public speaking, sometimes, it could be because of something that happened in the past that's right yes and it could be in school something happened where they were out of control maybe they were shamed or ridiculed or Mm -hmm. rejected and sometimes with clients like that I've done hypnosis and we've gone back and we've you know we've kind of reframed that incident Mm. um For some people also, the actual fear response is what they're avoiding. So it's not so much that something happened, it's just suddenly being scrutinized and they've had those horrible, fearful um, sensations. Maybe their mind's gone blank, they're breathing and they've got fear in their gut and the heart's hammering and so they don't want to go there again. It's right. like, well, if, if I stand up, I'm going to have those feelings and I don't know how to control them. So one of the things, you know, I've just talked about the breathing. I find with most phobias or fears, if a person knew that they had tools to relax instantly and to control those feelings, then they're not going to be so fearful about going there. Right. So it's not always the thing whether it's cats or speaking, it's often the feelings that are associated with that. So when I'm dealing with one-on-one clients, I'm first of all giving them the tools to switch from one state to
0: a resource
1: state. And that's really what we're talking about. In terms of preparation beforehand, I would normally use visualizations with somebody, um, visualizing it as if it's going really, really well. well. Or sometimes it could be, um, how do I want to feel? They might say, well, I want to feel confident. So I might say to them, well, how do you know you're confident? have you felt that confidence in another context of your life? Right, yeah. And so I would use hypnosis and NLP with that, and we will establish an anchor. It might be a word or a phrase. Sportsmen do this all the time. Yes. And as they go on to deliver their speech, they can take the deep breath. They can then anchor and access that resourceful state.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Yes, I was just talking about in the last episode about being able to change your state yes. to, to create an emotion that you want to, to, to get a reaction yes. to from the audience. But this is exactly right as well. Yeah, bringing up those, those feelings that you may need of confidence and yes. and whatever. And you're absolutely right. Often I've had clients come in the past who worry about, I, I go bright red. Or you know, I sweat, yes. and it's that, and it's it's that fear of being judged because of that, yes. almost. Yes. that's more of a yes. concern than the actual speaking yourself. I that's that's very yes. interesting. And of isn't course, it?
1: there is an expectation. Yeah, if you think about it and expect it to happen, then you it will it will happen. Yeah,
0: like your yeah. like your sweet, like yes. you're rustling in there. Yeah. The
1: because the. The body doesn't know the difference between what is real and what is imagined. So it's about taking charge of what's going in your head, what you're saying to yourself.
0: Yeah. And that's almost like, so in in one of my courses, I talk about imagined fear. And how it's, you know, visualization is actually harnessing your imagination in a positive way, rather than using it to create those imagined situations that you know it is that powerful isn't it as you just think about it and you can you can create that awful you know you can create that thing that you're scared of in seconds so it's really retraining your brain isn't it
1: it is because it's important to understand that every thought you have every skill you have that you are creating a pathway in your brain And those pathways, neural pathways, the more you, just like a muscle that's used gets stronger with use, those Mm -hmm. neural pathways get stronger with use. So if you're not paying attention, if you're not, um, yeah, if you're not conscious of what you're saying, the the brain will always go to the path of least resistance. It's a default setting. It's a default setting, just like a phone or a computer has a factory setting. Yeah. Um, so it's a case of you've created it. Yeah. So the thing is, the exciting thing is, because you've created it, you've got the ability to uncreate it and create what you want. Yeah. And this is what I did. If you go back to my story, yeah. I used to be a big what if and imagine the worst possible thing. I chose not to do that because I knew I would just get myself in a terrible state. I was in the now and what I would say on those days when I was down, because I'm human, I'm going to be down, is I would say, well, look, right now, if I couldn't work, I can live and pay rent for a period of time. Right now, I've got food, I've got shelter, I've got hot water, I'm healthy and I'm okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's what consciousness is.
0: And that's brilliant. And that leads me nicely onto your workshop. Now, we've done a bit of work together on your workshop. I know Mm. it's brilliant. Um, Tell me about the workshop that you're doing. And I know that primarily you're going to be doing it live, but that doesn't mean to say that it's not something that you could be doing online in the Mm. future to Mm. to a wider Mm. audience. Mm. Can you give me sort of a, a, a sort of synopsis of what that workshop is and what people will get out of it
1: right so just about everybody today Mm -hmm. knows that how to to promote good physical health just with our lifestyle the way we eat and our habits but what a lot of people don't know is you can do this for your mental health and if you promote good mental health you are more resilient. So as I said earlier in this this interview, uh, bad things happen. Mm. But if you are mentally and emotionally stable, it's not a given that you will spiral into depression. So there are probably five or six major life events that could be a precursor to a mental health challenge. I experienced three of them at the same time, was just coming here. Yes. And I'm still standing. So the whole part of this workshop is to actually teach people in very practical ways the things that I did to stay stable, Mm. but how to promote good mental health and to have a fulfilling, balanced life so that when life throws you a curved ball, as it did me, Um, I've got the tools and resources and I can cope. So it's not what happens in life that causes depression and mental illness. It's the difference between the people that will get depressed or have a mental health challenge and those that don't is their response to life. So there's a lot of stressors out there. Some of them are in the environment over which we have no control. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the horrible boss, whether it's the traffic, whether it's our partner, our work colleagues, um, and that kind of thing, but we can also create stress, as we've said, by what you think yes. and what you say to yourself. So the whole part, the whole thing with the workshop is to build that resilience. So, as we've said. Stress is in all of our lives. There's far more stress today Mm. than there was, you know, many years ago. So if we knew how to deliberately relax, we're going to be physically healthy. We are going to be able to make conscious decisions and solve our problems easier because, Mm. as I've said, the stressed brain isn't capable of making very many decisions. So the first part of it is to teach people to relax um, and act, get a flow of endorphins no matter what is happening. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to promote flexible, creative thinking and to be aware of your default patterns. Yes. The other thing is we, one in three people in the UK are said to struggle with sleep. Yeah at some time or other in our lives. So another part of the workshop is to teach people how to get a good night's sleep. If you can manage your stress, if you can um, be aware of your thinking and to be creative in your thinking and you have a good night's sleep, you're far far more likely to be able to cope during challenges, but your everyday life anyway, you're gonna be f- more functional. The last thing, which is really important, over and above our basic needs for food and shelter, yeah. we have a whole load of other needs too. And most of us are not aware of them and we don't pay attention to them. Uh, we do, a pr- is what we call a primal needs assessment. We can quickly see what area of our lives are, are, are lacking. When I came here, to the uk for instance most of my primal needs weren't being met yeah. i had to find a different way of getting those needs met yeah. so just for instance one of our one of our primal needs is to have meaning and purpose in our life and a sense of identity that we're making a contribution now in south africa That need was met with me through my business, through dealing with my clients. I came here and I had nothing. I had to rebuild my business. So I had to find a way of getting that need met. So I joined my local Rotary Club. I set up an infertility support group. I did some volunteer work at the hospital. Those were all things that I could control. So in so doing, I was filling the need for meaning and purpose. I was filling the need for giving and receiving attention. Uh I was fulfilling the need for um, making a contribution and being part of a community. Right. so as we go through stages of our lives uh, so for instance somebody retiring yeah. if somebody who is retiring only got that sense of meaning and purpose through their job gotcha. when they retire isn't it it makes sense that they um, that it, there's going to be a huge gap so that's why we need to have a balanced life um, and that we prepare for retirement. Yeah. Um, For instance, we have a need for intimacy and we get that through uh, friends that maybe know Mm -hmm. us very, very well and just get get us through a romantic partner or maybe even just having a pet. Now, if somebody had that need for intimacy only through their sexual partner, if that relationship ends... I see. They're going to, whilst they're going to be heartbroken and sad and all of that, they're going to be doubly so because they haven't got, uh, they're not getting that need met elsewhere. And that's what I mean by uh, these primal needs and looking at them and helping people to be the producer, the director and the star of their own life.
0: Oh, I like that. And you can see how people just feel completely adrift if that's, you know, if that's the only place you're getting some of this stuff met and Quite, you lose that, Yes, it's just, you know, that's how
1: you can feel lost. So as we go through the various stages of our life, yeah. um, if we're aware of those and we adjust, um, we can have that balanced life. Yeah. And so there's nine primal needs, but it doesn't mean to say that you, I've got to do nine different things to get all those. You can start one thing and it fulfills three or four different needs
0: that's brilliant it sounds like a fab
1: workshop and i'm going to come back and in a little bit and find out because people may
0: want to find out how they can have uh, one-to-one work with you or in Mm. fact get get involved in the workshop but before that Mm. and thank you for everything that you've shared so far i have some standard questions all right (laughs) so um it's the speaking club so the first question is what's the the best thing that the speaking that you've done so far has done for you?
1: It's given me the confidence and the motivation to do more. Mm-hmm. And it's nice seeing, even though, like all of us, I've come away and i thought, oh, it wasn't perfect and I forgot to say that. Yeah. That's cool because I just from the feedback I got, from giving the talk, yeah. um, that spurred me on to do more and just get better and better.
0: Cool. And and then I guess that's a nice segue into what's the worst speaking experience you've ever had? Has there been one or has it all been, you are well prepared, so maybe there
1: wasn't one? No, there was actually. Actually, way, 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 way back and I'd actually forgotten about this. Um, I gave a small talk about mindfulness. Right. I had I, I sat down throughout and it was a PowerPoint thing and I had all these all this text up on these on these slides. And I don't know why I was sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was <laughs> it was probably about 15 years <laughs> ago. And I was just delivering a whole load of facts and I wasn't engaging at all with the audience. I mean, I, I needn't have been there. I could have just had all this stuff up on the slides and said, oh, okay, I'll pop out for a cup of coffee. I'll be back in an hour when you've read all that <laughs> because that' how bad it was. Oh, yes. no.
0: Yes. Did, how, what was the response like to, from the audience to that? I don't think there was any feedback
1: whatsoever.
0: <laughs> oh dear. Well, at least you've, <laughs> things have moved on quite a bit. Well, quite a bit. Having yes. seen you speak yes. recently. Yes.
1: That's brilliant. Um, what I've actually, you, if I can go back, you said to me, what did I learn from recent talks? And I think initially I'd got all well prepared and I knew exactly what I was going to do. And the very first time, I had an attitude of, this is what I am going to deliver to you, and by hook or by crook, I'm going to deliver it to you, all this information. Yeah. And what I learned from there was, and it, it went okay, but afterwards I thought, yes, prepare, have an idea of what you're going to say, but... Rather engage with what's in front of me yes. and just uh, just work around, instead of practising word for word everything I'm going to say. Yeah, And so now it's like I've got an idea of what I have to do, but rather let's just work with what's in front of me and be flexible.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely one of the biggest things that I think makes the difference between being an okay speaker and being a great speaker is 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 talking you know engaging with the audience that you've got in front of you rather than the one that you'd like to have Quiet. in your head yes and that you know and it and it isn't about it's about connecting with them mm. and getting the message across mm authentically and in a way that they can relate to rather than the way that it was written perfectly in a script or whatever yes and that's a great piece of learning yeah it was
1: it was quite a shift for me rather than say right you're going to sit there you're going to behave exactly how I predict you're going to behave I want you to behave and you're going to get all of this and I'm going to wham it all into you yeah that's Um, brilliant
0: yeah that's excellent excellent good okay now what is the book that's You've read that's had most impact on your life, and why?
1: I can't why? remember titles, but okay. I can remember um, authors: Bruce Lipton, The Biology as, of Belief. Is yeah, it? yeah. Bruce Lipton, The Biology of Belief. Yeah. And Candice Pert, The Molecules of Emotion. Oh. And it really is science, actually, explaining how emotion affects the cells in our body and why it's important to be in control of your emotions and accessing resource states
0: i must read this book i've had guest after guest recently and, and outside working with other clients people talk to me about certainly by the biology of belief not heard the other one yeah so i must i must read this i'm gonna put it on my list uh, yeah to, to get great and, book and i'll put a link to it in the show notes as well so if You know, if you didn't get it when you heard about it before, go and get it because it sounds like it's uh, it's something valuable to have and to
1: introduce into your life. I would also highly recommend reading any of John Kabat-Zinn's books on mindfulness. A good book to start is Full Catastrophe Living. As an academic. He explains mindfulness so beautifully. And For Catastrophe Living gives lots and lots of tools and resources and practical tips where people can start their mindfulness journey.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Linda. That's great. OK, what's the best bit of business advice you've ever got and why? I
1: think it's be genuine, be ethical, have boundaries. Yeah particularly in a therapeutic, something I in in the therapeutic field, it took me a number of years to realise that I don't have to work with everybody that wants to work with me. To trust my gut, to trust my instinct. Is this going to be a good thing or a bad thing?
0: I love that. And the last question, if you could have... A mentor, they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional. Who would you choose to be your mentor and why?
1: In business or life or both?
0: You know, for for you, for you. You think, let's say business, if you like, but but I guess sometimes life and business, they're they're so symbiotic in terms of the way that we
1: feel. Nelson Mandela. Okay, cool, cool. He had a massive, massive heart. Yeah. You know, what he could have done. He could have come out full of revenge and anger and he was a true man of peace. Yes, yes. Yeah, Excellent. Nelson Mandela.
0: Well, you did help his granddaughter, so there's a yeah. little, little link well, there. Well, Brilliant. Well, Linda, look, thank you so much for sharing all of that uh, advice and, and those tools and techniques and tips for keeping us mentally healthy and resilient. So, Linda, if someone wanted to find out more about how they could work with you one-to-one or to get involved in one of your workshops, where's the best place for them to go?
1: OK, so they can go to my website, with an e.co.uk, or they can email me direct if they've got a specific query and they would like me to redirect them to a specific piece of information. My email is linda at uk brilliant
0: and are you on social media at all as well
1: uh yes i'm on linkedin and i am on facebook
0: smashing okay well that's it thank you so much again really appreciate it and uh i've learned lots of, of great stuff here today and um, appreciate it linda thank you
1: thank you thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell you about my work
0: you're more than welcome there you go so she really knows her stuff, Linda, and I can't believe she stayed so positive despite all the things that she's had to deal with over the past couple of years. And I just well, she's brave, courageous and uh, a real inspiration. Now, if you'd like to get some one to one time with Linda to sort out any issues you might be having or you're interested in her workshop or you just got something valuable from what she shared today then send her an email and let her know at linda at lyndaclark.co.uk. Brilliant. Well, as ever, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate you spending your time with me listening to the podcast. Brilliant. Well, if you're a regular listener as ever... Do me a massive favor and leave a rating or review iTunes. It just takes a couple of minutes. It does make a massive difference. And I love reading the comments. And it can be lonely here, as I said before, when you're doing these shows and hoping they resonate with people and make a difference. And cool. And the other thing is, if you are a new listener and you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And last thing I've got to say is don't forget to go out and grab your life by the nuts get cracking and have a fantastic week. Bye bye. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is, and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success you'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free, plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.